Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Speed Technology is the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1-855-450-NOAA. That's 1-855-450-6624. Give me a call. We'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business and tech questions. Linux advocate, Bob L, small business owner, now host of the only radio show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah Chalias. So good evening to you all. Happy to be here. at the at, like It's like 12 degrees in Grand Forks. So I'm like extremely happy to be inside of the studio. Man, do we have a lot of show to get to tonight. We're going to talk about Bitcoin. Uh, we got an update on our Linux bracket elimination challenge. More on that to come. Uh, so if you guys tuned in tonight for a live show, man, it, it's going to be jam-packed. We're going to go to the phones. We're going to start out with Jeff. Jeff's calling this hour from North Dakota. Hey, Jeff, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Uh, it's, I thought it was Peter. Oh, Peter, I'm sorry. Call screener must have uh, must have goofed up your name. How, how can we help, Peter? Hey, uh, I'm working on uh, building an appliance machine for work. Um, it's going to be used to copy uh, client files while we're working on their computers to like back up stuff. Um, and so, um, but it needs to be um, air gapped um, so that we don't have to worry about from a security perspective those files going anywhere mm-hmm. um and we want to be able to like not allow like usb wi-fi devices to even work if they get plugged in um but then i also want a way to be able to update that machine without putting it on the network yep uh okay well so here's uh, here's how we tackle that that's actually what you've described peter is actually a really common deployment scenario especially if you if you know when we do work out at um various government facilities or uh even large corporations a lot of times we'll we'll have those those that exact same requirement specification and, and the way you go about doing that peter is uh you set up a local repository and basically the way it works is something like this you have your machine and it sits on an entirely separate VLAN, an entirely separate subnet. It, 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 the machine just exists on its own uh, air-gapped network. And let's say we have our production database server, and that's what we're backing up. I don't know what you're backing up. I'm just going to make it up. Let's say that you're backing up a production database server. And what I would do is I would put uh, two NICs inside of the database server, and I would put one NIC on the on one network and one NIC on on my air gap network. Now you can do you can there is a way there are a couple ways that you could configure the network in such a way that it could that one network card could exist on both networks if you absolutely had to, but it's it's much easier and cleaner if you can have it on two separate network cards. And then what you do is on your air gap network, um what you'll do is you'll set up a repository server that has access to the internet and then again it has a, a, a dual nook. So you have the repository server is sitting on the internet and it also has access to the air gap network and the local repo server will download the updates from the internet and the air gap machine will only ever talk to the local repository server, which you guys have control over. Now there's going to be somebody out there. There are certain installations that even that wouldn't fly because there is still technically an electric path from the internet over to uh, the the, the air gap machine so that it's not a foolproof absolutely completely uh you know um secure system because the way that you evaluate security is you go through and say if i was a attacker how would i go about doing this and there is actually believe it or not a prescribed way to attack machines and thus as security professionals, there is a prescribed way to evaluate how you would secure a machine. And what we do is we call it privilege escalation. So once we have gained access to a machine, then we try to escalate those privileges on that machine. And then we try and expand out beyond that machine. Once we've owned a single machine, we try and expand out. So you can see how I could first take control of the repo server, which is online. And because that has dual NICs in it, I can then move my way over to this secure backup server. I could do the same thing at the database server if I could find a vulnerability in that so it, it's not a foolproof system but it will more than it nine out of ten times it meets the requirements that that the that the client is looking for 
that they can have this other machine that's not on the internet but still has local LAN resources to facilitate backups or updates and stuff like that. Does that help you at all? Yeah, I mean, there's, so there isn't like a way to where you could transfer file, like the update files, like using a USB or something. Oh, I know, I, like, uh, sorry, I misunderstood. Like I thought you said end, you like didn't endless. want USB. Well, we don't want, we don't want all USB devices to work. I see. Um, we want because I mean, some of the, some USB is going to be needed at some point because we're going to be attaching like um, like a hard drive dock, which is going to be USB. Um, but we need some kind of way to keep um, like USB Wi-Fi devices, like like a USB Wi-Fi adapter, from being plugged in. Sure. Yeah, and with Dbus you could control which which uh, USB. I mean, there there are ways you could set up some. You know, you could set up some Dbus rules. Um, so so in your ideal scenario, you would bring in these updates like on a flash drive, and you plug them in, and then then you would run them. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, it is possible. So with CentOS, for example, all of the packages at the end of the day, they're RPMs. I mean, you could, you could, I don't, so I'll, I'll give you an example back. This is, this is, this is going to go back a while. This is uh, one of the first Red Hat boxes I ever uh, set up into a large facility. I still had no idea what I was doing with Linux at the time because I had no professional training and basically whatever I'd figured out in my basement. Um, I had no business administrating this box, to be honest with you, but uh, we didn't have a Red Hat um, support contract. And so at the time I couldn't install these uh, dependencies to actually get the software that we needed to work. And so what I did was I went on the internet until I found the RPMs, copied this plethora of RPMs because we used to call this thing, it was uh, it was, it was like a dependency tree and you would, you would get a couple of them and then you'd realize you needed a couple more. So you had to go back and download those. And it was, it was a real mess for those that had to live it. But uh, I, I eventually figured out which order all of these things needed to be installed and which ones we needed and uh, numbered them and put them all on a flash drive. And that's how we installed that first batch of systems. And I did exactly what you're talking about. It's really cumbersome to do it that way, uh, but it is possible. Now, here's, here's, another, here's another question for you. Why are you, why are you very concerned about backups if – or I'm sorry, updating if you're – if you really separate this machine out like completely outside of the internet so it really can't talk to the internet, uh, what's the primary concern for updating the machine? Um, I don't know. I just – I've always – you know, you guys have always kind of pushed, you know, keeping everything patched and, I mean, for – I mean – patching the pat, you know, security patches for stuff that doesn't require the network to get into it. So usually when we talk about, when we push updates, when we talk about, you know, keep your stuff up to date and all that, usually that's because those machines are online. Those machines are on a, uh, on a, on a network. And, and so there's a, there's an attack vector to them. Um, when you start talking about air gapped machines, I have one air gap machine that I keep the most sensitive data that I, I have is on it. The machine does not even have a network card in it. It doesn't have Wi-Fi. It doesn't have Bluetooth. It doesn't, the, the, uh, every connectivity out to the outside world has been completely disabled. There is no way for me to update that machine on the internet, even if I wanted to, because I physically modified it so that it can't connect out. Um, I don't worry about updates on that machine because there is no attack vector on, on the machine itself, unless somebody has physical control of the machine, in which case, you know, I mean, unless you're unless you've you've encrypted the hard drive and you're you're shutting the machine down anytime there's not, you know, a security guy watching the machine. Phys- it, if I get access, if I get physical access to a running machine, there isn't a whole lot that's going to stop me if if I'm determined enough to to get access to the data anyway. Uh, does does that yeah. does that change your perception at all, or not so much? Um, I mean. I feel like it'd still be nice to build to get updates to it, but you know maybe it's not quite as big a deal. Well, what you know, you can do it. You can go through and say the the, the downside is what you're going to end up having to do is it's going to be incumbent upon a person to download all of these packages, put them onto a drive, move them over to the computer, plug them in, and then install them. It's doable, um, 
but yeah. you know all of the all of the fancy tools that we have for automatic scripting and stuff like that those all kind of go out the window once we remove the ability f- for 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 the operating system to be on the uh, on any type of network e- you know e- albeit even a even, yeah. you know so anyway does that but that that does give you something to think about yeah Okay. Well, cool. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And and uh, you're one of the few people that I've called from North Dakota, so we're really happy to have you as a listener. Um, Jeff is calling. Uh, so that's what happened. I think we just got the names confused there. We got Jeff from California. Hey, Jeff. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey. So I've got an old 2010 netbook I'm looking for a distro on. Seems that anything like Ubuntu 16.04 or higher based, just kernel panics. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the the smaller netbooks, especially with the less power in them, they they don't tend to do real well with the the super modern uh, uh, distros. Um, what I've had a lot of luck, Jeff, with is um, well, a couple different ones. The first one is Lubuntu. If you can get Lubuntu to run, you're you're sitting really well. Or Ubuntu Mate, either of those would, would you'd be sitting really well. And the reason is because you get that Ubuntu base, so you have access to all of the packages that you'd have on Ubuntu proper. Now, there is another distro, and I'm going to see if I can find it here for you. Uh, I don't remember the name right off the top of my head. Um, do, 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 Crutchbang. Does Crutchbang Crutch still exist? Like a, uh, you... Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually used Crunchbang before. Um, um, it's got to be a little more user-friendly, uh, you know, okay. for a parent. Yeah, they've renamed it Bunsen uh, Labs. Bunsen was... Okay. Ubuntu Mate was definitely the go-to, and it, it, it even kernel panics, even the... Uh, i386 version so i'll have to keep digging around um I'm maybe give solace a try but so i'm not too uh, sure where to go if everything uh, yeah and solace would be a great oh gosh solace would be a great choice too um <laughs> here here's i'll tell you how i'll tell you how i got i'll tell you my bunsen lab story i had a laptop um so a little bit of history i i, I love older laptops mostly because i've gotten to a point in my life now where i can afford to buy uh, a laptop and the laptops that I choose to uh, to to purchase, even though I could buy just about any laptop I reasonably wanted to buy, the ones that I choose to buy are all the ones that I couldn't buy 15 years ago because I had no money. <laughs> and so it's kind of funny. I, my whole house is, is littered with all of these laptops and there's a story behind every single one of them and they're not worth anything. They're 15, 20 bucks. I buy them on eBay. But I like them and I like playing with them. And I'd say the laptop that I drooled over for the longest point at any point in my life was the IBM ThinkPad 600X. And it was a it was the first laptop that IBM released, uh, that I saw anyway, that had a built-in optical drive. And I remember thinking to myself, at the time, ThinkPad, IBM had an ability to swap the, the optical drive for a floppy drive. And at the time, I remember thinking to myself, man, what, what, a, what, a, what a system. Because you could use the optical drive for the few times that you need optical media. And then if you ever need to run and gun, you just take the optical drive out, throw it in the bag put your floppy disk in and you have everything you need in that computer to, to, to basically have a fully desktop replacement laptop. And, uh, and, and so the 600 X has, has still to this day is still one of my favorite laptops. I still think it has one of the best keyboards of any laptop ever, except maybe the 560 E and the only distro that will run on it is Crutchbang or Bunsen labs Linux. So, and I've had really great right, luck with that. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. So I, I might give that a shot and see what you think, but it's it's a um, a very, very lightweight distro that is incredibly powerful. And you know what the other thing I have Crutchbang running on that I think is really cool uh, is it, a lot of you know I'm not a big fan of Apple products, but I do own one Apple laptop. It is the uh, clamshell, uh, teal clamshell computer from the, like the like the late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, I have Crutchbang on that, and uh, and it runs, and it's really funny because I was able to get a Wi-Fi card in it, uh, so I can get on the internet and browse the internet, and I can do all my most of my work I can actually do because I can I, I Thunderbird runs on it and Terminal runs in it, uh, that's really all I have to have. And what's funny is I will go into restaurants or something and I'll pull it out, and the battery only lasts for about fifteen minutes, so it doesn't last very long, but. I can pull it out and connect to Wi-Fi, and I, I'll actually do work on it. And it's kind of funny to get the it's just the looks that I get from people. I'm like, yeah, I'm a hipster. I have an Apple computer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Matthew, California, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. How are you? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? Excellent. How can we help? Well, um, here, here's what I would like to do. 
Um, I have at my house, I have AT&T U-verse uh, for my ISP. And uh, it comes in from them. It's the, I, I'm guessing it's like a glorified DSL. It comes in to this uh, combo DSL modem slash router slash Wi-Fi access point. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really locked down. And when I had a mm-hmm. iteration of it, it was really easy to punch holes in the firewall if I wanted to forward a port through yep. to get to my laptop or my raspberry pi or whatever that's on my network but they sent me out a new one and i have faster speeds now but they've restricted my ability to punch a hole through my firewall yep and i what i would really like is to run a microtech edge device or some kind of edge device on my own network and run my own router and have control of my own network and i just don't know if that's possible given the limitations that i have I mean, obviously, I know the hardware exists. I just don't know if you have any experience with ISPs at the home uh, that that restrict you in that way. Oh, do I ever. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I don't mean to be sarcastic, but I, it's a, this, is, this is a problem that I fight on a, probably a weekly basis. I'd say we get at least one call a week. Sure. Because the thing is, in, in, a, in a small town like Grand Forks, you, you have a lot of people that are doing home businesses out of their homes, and they're doing it with a residential right. internet connection. And so we're, we're constantly mm-hmm. solving this problem. So there's, I have yet to – I got good news for you. The good news is I've never met an ISP that we can't get a workable solution. The downside is sometimes it takes okay. a couple of phone calls and it might cost a little bit of money. But here's what here's the here's essentially the I'll go from I easy, don't mind phone calls and as long as it's a little bit of money we're probably good. Okay. So l- let's start with the the, the <laughs> best possible thing that you could do. The best possible thing you could do is call your ISP and say I don't want to use your modem. I want to provide my own. Do you have a list of compatible modems that I can purchase on my own? Comcast uh, I know for yep. sure Comcast does this. I know for sure Verizon does not do this. Um, Midco does this. Uh, Frontier does this. I'm trying to think of some other ISPs that I that we've done that I know for sure works. And but anyway, you call them and you say I want to sure. use my own my own modem, and they will likely give you a list. Motorola makes uh, a really great Doxus three modem. So the the the, the, the there are different uh, generations of cable modem, so to speak. And uh, it is cable internet, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure this isn't cable; it's DSL because it's coming from the telco, not from the cable company. It has a phone; it's physically connected with a phone. What's your speed like? Uh, not great. Um, it's not. I mean, I think it's fiber to the post. That's the little the little post out in my in my yard. Um, but because it's AT and Uverse, which is their combination phone, internet, TV thing. Um, you know, it, it comes in from the phone company and not from Comcast, who's my local cable provider. Huh. So I'm pretty sure it's DSL, not, not like, I can't just go buy a Motorola surfboard or whatever and plug it in because it's the wrong, I think it's the wrong kind of, of cable, but it, or the wrong kind of modem. It doesn't come in on coax. It comes in on a little four pair copper wire. It does. Okay. It comes in. And I'm just looking at the, the yeah. universe router. Okay. All right. So plan B. Here's plan B. Are you ready for plan B? Two wire, two wire is the name. I got uh, I got plan right. B. We're all, we're all set. It's okay. Uh, so it looks like okay. Motorola. Okay. Uver- yeah. Okay. All right. All right. I'm with you now. Okay. This is the uh, this okay. is this is the problem. Okay. All right. But here's 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 plan B. Plan B. Every mo almost every modem has what's known as a bridge mode, and what the bridge mode does. Is it will and some it ha, it may have to be enabled by the ISP. This is actually what we had to do at um, okay. at Jupiter Broadcasting because they they lock you out of the the router so that you can't actually do anything, and you actually have to call the ISP and have them go in and make this change for you. But it can be done. And what they do yeah. is they turn okay. it into something called bridge mode. And what bridge mode does is it turns off all of the routing and firewall functionality of the device and turns those. So you've got like the little yellow ports in the back of the thing it turns Mm -hmm. all of those just into a switch a dumb switch and every one of those uh every one of those uh, connections goes straight out to the internet it's not it's not natted it's not behind a firewall it's not none of that Not natted or anything yep yep and so so but you got to make sure when you do that matthew you want to make sure that you have a router 
beforehand, I did a service call earlier this week. In fact, I was jo- I was joking about it with Chris because it was so funny. We get a call from this organization, and they said, uh, we've never used it before, but we called our IT company. They're not showing up, and uh, we need somebody to come out here right now because our business is, is suffering. We just don't have an internet. And I said, no problem. We'll get somebody out there uh, within 10 minutes. And um, so I went out there, right. and I get on site, and I go to look, and they have this – uh, this cable modem and it has a sign on it and it says internet router and uh, I kind of looked at it and went okay it's not a router but whatever and I look and the cable is going to a uh, a tiny little Linksys switch and then well not tiny it was 24 ports but so it goes to this little Linksys switch and right. off of that Linksys switch is 16 computers and they're all plugged in and I'm kind of looking at it for a second and I'm like so is all of the internet work not working? Oh no, these four computers over here. Okay. Are they new? Yeah, we just got them, uh, you know, a, a couple days ago. Okay. So I go start looking. Every one of those machines, well the first 16 of them or 15 of them or whatever, had pulled public IPs from the ISP. And apparently the there's ISP. and yeah, uh, and apparently there's a limit to how many dynamic public IPs. That was the limit. Yeah, apparently 16 is the limit around here. Or the cable modem tops out. That's the, that's the most it can pass out. And I'm like, <laughs> well, it's a simple problem to solve, but I bet the ISP was thrilled that entire block of public IPs are getting eaten up by by just desktop computers that are browsing, you know. So it's just a funny thing. But uh but yeah, but but all that to all that to say, make sure you have a router behind the 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 modem because there's a lot of ISPs. They will give sure. you one and one only IP and then after that, your machines just aren't going to oh, get online. Exactly. And then would you recommend like a Microtech or or should I run a PFSense box? What what do you think is the best? Yeah, absolutely. Like, it, it, simple solution. Yes. Yeah, so simple, I'm always going to say Microtech. In fact, that's what we put in at, at this uh, particular business. We put in a Microtech Hex. Uh, it was like a $49 device. Okay. But the, the, the here's the nice thing about – so I – I like to recommend PFSense when people want to build their own hardware and they want to put custom cards in or, or do some really fancy configuration or if they're doing it on an extreme budget and need a ton of routers. We were having a discussion in the Asnoa Telegram group, which if you're not part of, you can join it, telegram.asnoashow.com. But I am, they, actually. Okay, so maybe you saw this. Did you? Would you follow our discussion where, they, where the guy was – he wanted to put in – Access. He was doing wireless for some event, but he wanted like each room to have its own network. So they wanted to do like a bunch of different. Yeah, I vaguely, I vaguely recall that. Yeah. So in in a situation like that, where you're going to have like a bajillion routers inside of a inside of an event venue, sometimes it makes sense to be able to just repurpose PCs. The nice thing about the Microtech is you can go to Amazon. It's Prime available. It shows up in two days. It's fifty bucks, and the thing works yep. just like any other enterprise device does. So, if, and and you know, and then for me, this doesn't necessarily apply to anyone else. But to, for me, I, we've got a bunch of stock configs of just like you have a small business and you need you know the first fifty IPs statically reserved and the rest DHCP and you want VPN access and all that. Right. We set all that up as just kind of a template, and then I just drop it in and make a couple little config config tweaks, and then then they're good that's off to awesome. the races. Yeah, so that that's what I would do, man. That's I would I would check. Kind of what, Go ahead. That's kind of what I'm looking at doing, just because. You know, I just signed up for Linux Academy, and I'm and I'm I'm trying to learn some stuff, and and I'm running into I'm running into barriers to my learning that are I'm finding that I'm running into them because I don't have as much control over my network and how the IP addresses get handed out, right? Uh, as I would like to have, and um, yeah, so if if this if I can get them to bridge, a, you know, a port on my device that I already have. And I can put my own edge device behind that, and then I can buy my own Wi-Fi access points, and I can do all that stuff. Yep, exactly. Exactly. There's yeah. actually a, a new cool. trend. Tre- and I thank you very much, Matthew, for the call. There's actually a new trend that I'm 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 pretty uh, pretty upset about. There's a there's this company. I'm not going to mention them on on the air because I don't want anyone to use them. They're a terrible company, and nobody should support them. But they make a um, they make a Wi-Fi system that basically. Everything is everything is controlled by the company you buy the access points from, and so you you don't you can't even you can't even administrate the like the the IP addresses on these things. They they do all of that for you, and the idea is that they're kind of targeting managed service providers to like people that want to provide Wi-Fi at scale, and unfortunately they're they they have a, a decent market penetration, but the the thing that is so scary and so insidious about it is. This entire that every single business that does this is entirely tied to this company, and this company is not well known for their 
goodwill towards network operations and 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 customer service and user satisfaction. They're not they're not known for that. So I I really 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 despise the fact that that it's gaining so much traction but it's kind of the next level of what you're talking about is you you, you don't even have access to your, you can't even control the stuff in your own house how how idiotic is that it's just it's really frustrating again phone lines are open one eight five five four five zero noah that's one eight five five four five zero six six two four the email live at dot com. if you want to be a part of the program make your voice heard bitcoin is opening at sixteen thousand seven hundred and eighty five dollars as of today and that is a really really interesting change from where we were six months ago anyone that has fought cryptocurrency has exploded and because of that people are losing their minds and um we covered a couple weeks ago uh we covered uh cryptocurrency and getting started with it and 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 in that episode i made a point to really hammer home that you should not invest in cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency is not a good investment. And despite me saying numerous times that I don't invest in cryptocurrency and I don't recommend that anyone invests in cryptocurrency and I can lay out a really, really, really solid argument uh, and provide you with a lot of facts of why it's a really bad and stupid idea to invest in cryptocurrency, despite me saying that and being able to lay all that out, I've still gotten inundated this week with people saying, so I know I know you don't believe in uh investing in cryptocurrency, but uh, if I was going to invest in cryptocurrency, how do you think I should do that? So let me let me just start by telling you why you shouldn't invest in cryptocurrency. Any currency, and that can be the Bitcoin, the Iraqi dinar, the US dollar, the, 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 the yen, it doesn't matter. The euro, any currency is a commodity. And investing in a commodity is a bad idea for if for no other reason, it's a bad idea because there's only two things that drive the price up or down fear and confidence. If people are confident in something, the money goes up. If people are fearful, the money goes down. And it, it, it's why you shouldn't invest in gold. Gold is not a good investment. Gold is a hedge against inflation, but it's it, you're, there are better ways to make money than investing in gold. If you look at the return of, on your investment from investing in gold, it's terrible. It's horrible. It's it's a it's it's a it's a horrific return on investment, uh, and and so what drives the price of gold up or down is confidence and fear. If people are fearful that that you know there's going to be a the government's going to shut down or something like that, then people go more into gold. And if people are are you know are are you know very happy and want to do other things in life and stuff like that, and they're very confident with outside with the markets outside of gold, then they they take their money out of out of precious metals. And so it's it's not a, it's not investing in a commodity is never a good idea. It would be like investing in uh in uh, in computers or guns or anything, desks, whatever, it doesn't matter. In Investing in a commodity is a bad idea. So you shouldn't do that, and you shouldn't invest in Bitcoin. However, and I hope I've made that clear, but having said that, there are some really cool things that are going on in the cryptocurrency world right now. So Bitcoin has obviously taken off and just gone nutsoid. And so we're almost to 17,000. And I keep getting people that say, well, I'm going to go over to Litecoin. Litecoin is at $215. It's up like 70 bucks from what it was. I don't know, four or five days ago, 10 days ago, something like that. So Litecoin is going up like like a crazy rocket. Uh, and, and so everyone is kind of jumping in into Litecoin and, and some of the other alternative currencies. But my thing has always been Bitcoin was one of the first cryptocurrency. It was the f- first cryptocurrency to establish market domination. It is continues to be one of the most prolific cryptocurrency is the one that most people have heard of. If McDonald's and Burger King and what have you are going to accept a cryptocurrency, believe you me, it's not going to be Litecoin. It's going to be Bitcoin, unless they make their own like Microsoft is doing, which we'll get to in a second. But uh, for those reasons and for the reasons that even still, even as good as Litecoin is doing and Dogecoin and whatever, all of these other coins, they're all you know going up in value. But Bitcoin still, if you plot it out on a graph, is still doing better than most of those other currencies. And so if everyone keeps saying, well, I got to get into Litecoin because I I miss the Bitcoin boat and that that just makes me sad. That's what everyone said when Bitcoin reached $10. 
That's what everyone said when Bitcoin reached $50 and $100 and $500 and $1,000 and $5,000. And a week ago, a week and a half ago, people were saying that when Bitcoin reached $10,000. And now everyone's saying it today when, or, well, a couple of days ago when Bitcoin topped $16,000. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's hitting, uh, if it's, if it's, if, if it, it doesn't matter. Uh, where we where you jump in bitcoin the one of the greatest things about bitcoin is that it's highly divisible and so you can take your money uh and invest ten dollars if you want travis is calling from kentucky hey travis welcome to the ask noah show hey thanks for having me sir yeah um i understand i understand a lot of your views about this cryptocurrency and bitcoin um it, it seems like a very risky thing at this point in time um, is that is that am I summing up some of what you said earlier? Very much so. I'd say it's probably one of the riskiest investments. Yeah. But so there's got to be a place for it. Maybe maybe uh, maybe buying a bunch of gay porno or guys doing guys, girls doing <laughs> girls. That's what I'm all about. <laughs> um, well, so I, I guess so. Here's here's the thing. When I say don't invest in Bitcoin, I guess I don't mean don't get involved in Bitcoin or don't purchase Bitcoin or don't mine Bitcoin. The being part of the market is a good thing. Being part of new technology is a good thing. I have a ton of Bitcoin and I didn't, I didn't get it just by sitting on the air and saying, nobody, I'm not telling anyone to do something that I haven't done personally, but there's a difference between participating. What about being, what about being part of a menage a trois? Like two guys just, just hammering each other with their, with their rigs. I mean, that's hot stuff. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I guess, I, you know what you want to spend your bitcoin on is is your choice and i thank you very much for the call but but the um but the where the where the advantage in bitcoin is is joining a community and being come, becoming a part of the technology that's a that's a cool thing and that's a good thing and i i support that and if there's somebody out there that says i want to experience bitcoin because i like the technology and i believe that in 2017 we need a different currency than the us dollar we need a currency that's not controlled by governments we need a currency that's not controlled by corporations <laughs> microsoft and your new cryptocurrency that you're going to you know do uh if you if that's your stance by all means you should participate in bitcoin i really support bitcoin i like bitcoin i just think that we have a a real problem if you if i think that we what basically what i'm saying is i think you have a real problem if you enter bitcoin with the idea that you're going to make a ton of money and so from that perspective I wouldn't invest in Bitcoin, but it, Bitcoin is doing some really amazing things, and we're going to continue to watch it here on the Ask Noah show. We think it's, a, I, th- I think that cryptocurrency in general, and I've started to pay attention to some of the alt currencies, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna check those out and and keep those going. I want to make a quick plug for a video promo that we put together. There, this show is uh, unique on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network because it was designed and put together in a way that no other show has been on the network it differently not not better not worse just differently we structured this show uh very much for radio uh and the the timing is about the, the timing is centered for radio the assets are centered around radio and a lot of the equipment is centered around radio and i still have to run a full-time company because this is not what i do full-time this is this is one hour a week i do this and so what I uh, basically what we ended up doing was we worked with one of these manufacturers to produce a promo video for an amazing product that they have out. And I'm going to have it linked in the show notes. Uh, But basically, this device allows me to send pure, uncompressed PCM audio uh, from anywhere in the world that I have an Internet connection back here to the studio and then receive pure uncompressed PCM audio from the studio out to anywhere I am. I can connect over Wi-Fi. I can connect over LTE. I can connect over a phone system if I have to. Uh, Anything, uh, any which way you can imagine to get packets from point A to point B, I can connect with this device. And uh, they reached out and they said, and I I, basically it started when I I just said, thank you for making such a product because it has fundamentally enabled me to do my show. And they said, you know, if you're really happy about it, we would love to hear what you have to say about it. And we would love to... uh, we would love to, uh, to to feature you. So they, they did, and uh, we have a really neat video, and I, I'd like you guys to check it out. So I'll have a link for that in the show notes. Make sure to check it out. Joel is calling. Hey, Joel, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. How's it going, Noah? Excellent. How can we help? 
So um, I sort of want to continue the Bitcoin discussion a little bit and try to compare it to another technology that seems to be very infamous and notorious for not being understood, and that being uh, torrenting. And so yes. how can Bitcoin avoid some of the pitfalls that torrenting has in terms of uh, torrenting having such a negative connotation with um, people pirating, uh, pirating uh, stuff and also and also many um, enterprise networks blocking it for its suspicion and all that. Yeah, you know, what a great comparison. Because, so uh, uh, let me, do you remember, Joel, back, um, we, we talked about this in the net neutrality episode too, but I, I don't know if I really dug into it as deep as maybe I should have, but do you remember a couple of years ago when Comcast was blocking torrent traffic because they wanted to, and I quote, stop illegal downloads? I've been hearing about it. I haven't read any of the specific stories. Can you put some in the show notes? Yeah, I, yeah, I absolutely can. So the, here's the, the the TLDR is Comcast said, oh, this pirating thing, it's uh, for these uh, illegal computer hackers and they, they download their illegal content uh, using this torrent browser. So we should delete the torrents off the Internet and then we'll block the torrents and then people can't illegal as well on Internet. <clears throat> yeah. And and so and what's stupid about that, what's so dumb about that and what frustrated everyone that understands what a torrent technically is, it is so much more efficient if I have a 60 meg download pipe and everyone around me has a 10 load 10 meg upload pipe for me to just take suck 10 megs from each from six different people or maybe one meg from 60 different people and, and, and be able to download that file so much faster. It's a way better system of of te- technically moving data from one point to another. And it got this bad name, like you just so eloquently said, because of those who do- either don't understand it or were using it for malicious purposes. And Bitcoin is subject to a lot of those same things, right? You you have, the, you have a very similar setup where we start with, where we start with Bitcoin could be used for good things or bad things. And naturally, anything that is anonymous and anything that is more difficult to track and stuff like that naturally draws, you know, some of the loonies out of the woodwork. And so when those people start coming out, uh, then all of a sudden, that's what the media likes to report on, right? When when Ross Albrecht was arrested, mm-hmm. that's that's what Bitcoin was. It was the the currency that enabled the Silk Road. And and in and in part, when I've talked to to people that have talked about Bitcoin, or, or they they always want to stay away from the Silk Road. They never want to talk about it. I say why? Well, because it's illegal and and it's just it, there's a, you know it's a, this big controversy. I don't have a problem talking about it. I think it I think it played a significant role in Bitcoin, and I think that we need to acknowledge that. With any good thing, bad things are going to happen. Anyway, I'm sorry, I'm I'm going on a rant. How do, how how does how does Bitcoin avoid those fallacies? Well, the first thing is, I think that a lot of people that are excited and passionate about technology don't really want to talk about it or advertise it, or they just want to experience it themselves. They're not worried about PR. I think a lot of the people that are doing Bitcoin, they could care less what anyone else thinks of them or their currency. They just like Bitcoin, and they have they should care. And and people like myself and people like Chris and, and, and people like those who are doing Bitcoin podcasts have a major role to play in going on the air and saying, no, this is what this currency is. This is how it functionally works. This are, these are the benefits. Yes, there may be a criminal element that follows has a following with this given currency, but that is not a reason to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So I think PR is a big point of that, a big part of that. I, the other thing I think is a really big part of that is those of us who are small business owners put our money where our mouth is and be willing to accept Bitcoin for legitimate transactions. Expedia has done this. Uh, Register for Less has done this. AltaSpeed has done this. Dell has done this. Um, many, many services allow you to pay for Bitcoin, and that legitimizes the currency as just a normal thing that everyday people can do. I can sign up for a Coinbase account. I can mine some Bitcoins. It gets deposited into my Coinbase account, and I can go buy a domain at registerforless.com. That's something that can happen. Or I can buy a computer from AltaSpeed Technologies. Or I could get service calls, whatever. Uh, those, I think all of those things help to legitimize and bring more positive light than negative light to, to cryptocurrency. Does that answer your question? It, yeah, and also I would like to say that there's a great guy who's out there on the interwebs, uh, something Antino- Anto- by the last name of Antonopoulos. Have you heard of him? Okay, I haven't. Antonius Antonopoulos? 
Antonius Antonopoulos is supposed to be a very uh, strong proponent of Bitcoin and also Ethereum and all these other cryptocurrencies. He did a recent episode on the Kevin Rowe show, if you have, if you, and I would have, I would recommend people check out that episode. I'll probably post it in Telegram for later reference. Um, yeah, that'd be great. Have a good one. Yeah, I'll check it out myself. Thanks for the call, Joel. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it, 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 everyone that has a platform to speak out on cryptocurrency. And, you know, lately, it's gotten a lot of positive press. I mean, everything I have seen in the last probably week or so has been positive press. I, you know, on a personal level, I get a little irritated. I get a little frustrated because I go to watch the coverage and these, these you know, news anchors with network logo coffee mugs sitting around glass tables, uh, they all sit down and they go... Uh, this uh, new currency has just come out, and uh, we're excited to tell you about it. It's called this Bitcoin, and it's uh, it's a digital coin. That and they have no idea what they're talking about. And it's not a new currency; it's been around for a long, long time. You might just be learning about it, but those of us that have you know that have been playing with it for a while, it's it's not new to us. So, and and then the other thing is what fr- what frustrates me is there's a fundamental misunderstanding of how Bitcoin works, and you can see this. Just do a, a search for. TSA and Bitcoin. And you come across all of these stories where TSA has held up certain individuals because they thought they saw him smuggling Bitcoins. Well, you goof. If it, if somebody was smuggling Bitcoins, you'd be looking for flash drives. So I hope you're confiscating all your flash drives, not uh, they, but they're looking for actual coins because they don't even know what a Bitcoin is. That kind of stuff is frustrating to me. But for the most part, it's been really positive press. And I think that that has a, uh, has, a has a long way to go. We are doing something uh, called what we're calling our Linux Elimination Bracket. And basically, the way this works, <clears throat> if you're watching the video version, I'm going to put something up on the screen for you guys. This is a list of all of the distros that were submitted. Now, basically, if you'll recall from last week, what we are trying to do is come up with a canonical resource. And when I say canonical, I mean like central place, not like the company canonical. Try to come up with a resource for people that are just getting started with Linux. And the first of the the our, the first episode that we do in 2018 which is going to be on January 2nd cuz again we're moving our show time to Tuesdays. So January 2nd is going to be the first show that we do in the new year. That show is going that episode is going to be dedicated to those that are just getting started with Linux, those that are just getting started with technology, computers, all of that. And uh, what I'd like to do is have the start of a resource for these people that are going to be joining us. And what I want the resource to be is a breakdown of every distribution and what it's best suited for. And because the number one question I get when I start talking to people about Linux is, what distro should I use? What distro should I start with? And I think there's a large majority of us that would say Ubuntu, Ubuntu proper. But especially in the last year, I have watched that divide so many different times into so many different ways. It's not even funny. <clears throat> I bet you it's a fair, if, if I ask people on this show to call in and tell me what they, and you should, you should call in and tell me, I, because I'd be interested to know what we're going to start with here. Uh, so 855-450-6624, call in and tell me what distro would you recommend to somebody who's just starting out with Linux and wants to install it on their desktop? Here's my prediction. I get Ubuntu, I get Solus, I get Ubuntu Mate, I get some form of KDE, I don't know if it'll be Ubuntu KDE or Fedora KDE or something like that, and somebody undoubtedly will say Arch. And I I have watched, uh, just, we have gone from like this, Ubuntu is the desktop for newbies, to there's a lot of really good choices for newbies nowadays, and I want to figure out what the best one is, And and the only way to do that, and to be true to open source Linux roots is to have input from the community. So last week we asked you to submit your favorite distro and what you think it's best suited for. Now most of you submitted uh, distros that one I had heard of and and you submitted them for use on desktop or servers. But a lot of you submitted distros that I hadn't even heard of and you submitted them for purposes that I didn't even think about. The largest category, I, we actually made it a, its own separate category because there were so many of them that came in is embedded Linux, which I didn't even really think about, but that's a really good point. If you have digital signage or you have like appliance machines or you have, you know, whatever, uh, you know, in a, a thing that you need an embedded operating system for, what uh, what distro is best for that? And uh, and so the first 
uh, bracket challenge, what we're going to do is we're going to do the desktop because that's if I, if at all possible. And I don't know if we'll get through all of these, but I would like to get through at least some of these so we have something to put up on the site for our, our January 2nd episode. I want to go through and start pitting some of these distros against each other. And I want you to tell me which distros, which which two distros you think would be the best for desktop. So if you're in the chat room, maybe we'll use the Bang Suggest because we don't use it for titles on this show. Use Bang Suggest and give me the pick two of the distros that you want to vote on first. So on the list we have just, I'm just reading some of these gen two. We've got Linux mate XFCE or sorry, Linux mint XFCE, true OS, Antrigos, uh, Solix, Solix DX, Linux mint mate, Maui Linux, Bunsen Linux, Arch Linux, Ubuntu mate, X Ubuntu, PC Linux OS, um, Ubuntu mate, 32 bit peppermint Linux, OpenSUSE, Solus, uh, NixOS, Fedora KDE, Void, Ubuntu Proper, Pop underscore OS, exclamation mark, Elementary OS, Linux from scratch. Go see which one of those, which one of those do you think we should start with? And my thought was start with two of the less lesser known ones, less popular ones, and then we'll work our way up to like, you know, uh, what would be some two really po- Arch and Ubuntu? I think will be a. I think that'll be a really tight race. I think there's going to be, especially in this community, I think you're going to get a lot of people that will say, "Well, people should just start out with something like Entarcos and then move on to Arch proper once you once you kind of get your 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 feet wet a little bit." But that's what I want to do. And th- and what we're going to do is then this week, if you're listening to this after the show is aired, I want you to go over to asknoahshow.com/slash/elimination. Asknoahshow.com slash elimination. Chat room, you, you got to help me out. I need you guys to, to help me determine which uh, which distros we're going to start with. So you guys have to I'll, – I'll leave it up here. I'll, I'll go back and forth between this. But I, I need you guys to, to help me uh, figure out what distros uh, we're going to start with. What should be the first two that we should vote on? Um, so I had not, I, I've not played with Maui Linux. That might not be a bad one to start with. Uh, I've not played with uh, Peppermint. Uh, so that might not be another one to start with, maybe something like that, and we'll just see what uh, what what pans out. And uh, if if chat room continues to be so quiet, you guys are so quiet. I don't know why no one's talking. But if if the chat room continues to be quiet, then I guess I'll just pick two, and we'll vote on those two, and then the winner of that bracket will continue on. And uh, once we've eliminated some of the the the, the lower hanging fruit, then we'll go on and 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 get to some of the um, more popular distros. And what I'd like, to, I, what I hope will emerge will be preferably one, but maybe a couple of really high hitting desktop Linux distros uh, that we can then go back because one of the things that we did on the submission form was we asked you why do you think that's the best you know, Linux distro for the desktop, for example. And we can go back and then start compiling a list of here are the things the people that use it really, really like about that particular distro. And so if there's somebody that's coming on board and they say, I want to run Linux on my desktop, the most important thing to me is security. Well, here's the best distro for that. And uh, it's it's Bang Suggest. So it's Bang Suggest, uh, Mandriva, I'll help you out. Okay, so <clears throat> Mandriva versus what? I need two of them. Uh, and um, so... Uh, where was I? What was I talking about? I lost my train of thought. But anyway, we're gonna we're gonna do this. Work. Oh yeah, uh, it, depending on what somebody's need is, let's say they want a security, you know, based distro. You'd say, okay, this is the, the the people that are the most concerned about security. These are the distros that they go to, or this is the distro that they go to. Uh, I want my hand to be held all the time. Well, this is the distro that those people go to, uh, and you should use this one. Uh, you know, it should probably be something like Ubuntu Mate or just Ubuntu proper. Blue Zero, hey, what's up? <laughs> I got two things. One of them, you just talked about easy destros. I have yet to have any problems with Linux Lite ever since I, you guys figured it, that desktop wallpaper thing that was going on it was what y'all were talking about but mm-hmm. also i have a question about tax taxes um i use linux for my company and i keep and I'm, mom's trying to figure out how to label all these open source technologies that i use okay you got any tips on it for tax purposes yeah. Okay. Well, 
Uh, taxes are, are, are fairly straightforward. Here's how you cal- here's how you calculate taxes. Uh, well, I guess I have to ask you a question first. What kind of, what kind of business do you have? Do you have like a sole proprietorship or you're, you're a type S corporation type C what? I haven't even done any of that. Okay. Since- no, that's fine. No, that's fine. I almost went. No, that, that's okay. So what, so what you are. Route. So, so here's here's what you are, Blue. What you are is you are a sole proprietorship. That's what that by default. That's what you'll be unless you incorporate. So, and and, and that's perfectly fine. And I would recommend you just keep doing what you're doing. The only reason to incorporate is if you wind up with some sort of liability, then you might want to, uh, then you might want to incorporate. But there is no tax advantage to forming a Type C or a Type S. Anyway, okay. So to answer your question, so how do you calculate taxes? What should you do with taxes? All of the money that you make in your business, the first thing you should do is you should go down to your bank with your social security number and you should open a checking account doing business as and then the name of your business. So we're going to call it Blue Zero's uh, Web Design. If I remember right, that's what you do. So you're going to open up a, a checking account, Blue Zero's Web Design. And all of the money that you make doing web design goes into that checking account. And the only checks you ever write out of that checking account are checks that you where you need to spend money on Blue Zero's web design company. So if you buy a piece of software or if you buy a laptop or if you make a donation to an open source project so you can use their software, whatever it is, those are the only checks that come out of that account. Okay. After you've done that, at the end of the month, the only money that's ever gone in there is all the money the company has made and the only money that's ever come out are business expenses. So by definition, what's left in that account is profit. And what you'll do at the very end of the month is you'll just write yourself a check for the profit. Now, you don't get to keep all of that money because you're going to have to pay taxes. And so what you'll do is you'll set aside 25% of that money in a separate uh, in a separate account. So you take, you take all the money. Let's say there's $100 left in there in the, at the end of the month. You take $100 out. You'll take 25 of that and you're going to stick it in an envelope or put it in a separate savings account. I don't care. Put it somewhere. And then at the end of the year, when you file your taxes, you'll go back to that 25% money that you set aside and that will be the money that you'll pay your taxes with. Now, the, the, way, the reason that, that that very simplistic approach will work and you won't have to worry about, well, we're trying to figure out how to, how to categorize this or that or this software or that software or that, whatever. If you're spending money for the business and you can and it's a legitimate expense for the business if that money comes out prior to you taking the profits out you don't have to pay taxes on those that expenditure so in a large company like the way that we do it because obviously I, we've got grown to the point that there isn't i mean when would i when would i do this arbitrary stop and take money out and and try it would just never work we're just too big for that so we have an ongoing expenditure basis and we track, well, these are all our expenses and here are all the, here's all the money that comes in. At the end of the year, we have you know a team of accountants that go through and say, well, here's how much we're going to deduct off of our profits that came in and there's a big calculation thing that happens and then that's how we pay taxes. Uh, but for, for a small business, that, that's what you would do. Uh, I'm sorry. And you had a distro pick too? I'm sorry. I, I didn't get that from you. Huh? Did you have a distro pick no. too? No? Fine. Okay, my bad. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Blue. <laughs> uh, I'll come. I'll come right back to you, Joe in Philadelphia. Hey, Joe, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, quick question. Um, I'm kind of realizing that um, Microsoft Office, although it's great, um, services like OneNote, I'm looking to get off of it and uh, go completely open source. And want to see what would be some of the cross-platform apps you would suggest to uh, migrate my office OneNote? So yeah. I, I, I have mixed feelings on this. What are some of the features that you really like about OneNote that you're trying to replace? Um, well, I love that in within any instance, whether it's through my email or my app, my phone, I, have a, I, can, jot, I can go into a note and take whatever's in my brain and just bank it somewhere. Um, and also the the extensions in a web form, like when I'm a kind of like the web clipper, like Evernote has. Yep. OneNote has that, and I just like that cross platform features that I can do within a couple clicks. I'm in my dumping something in that service. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'll tell you what I do. I'll be lying to you if I told you I thought it was a if I thought it was a perfect solution. Um, there are two main competitors to OneNote. One is a program called Laverna, and the other program is a program called um, SimpleNote. And uh, the SimpleNote is by far probably the better known of the two. And SimpleNote has a mobile app and has a web app, so you can jump in there and just jot something down, and it'll sync across and do all that stuff. It supports Markdown, which is nice. Uh, it supports at note sharing, so you can share it with other people for collaborative note editing and stuff like that. I have had problems with SimpleNote syncing properly sometimes, and so that is a one knock against it. But the biggest thing that I have, and I heard you mention this, I like to take images or screen caps or uh, I, I whatever. And I was just doing it today. I was dealing with a really, really pain in the neck uh, shipping situation. And um, what the company was telling me and what I, well, the information I'm getting online are two different things. And so I'm trying to document what's happening online. And so I'm taking screen caps and stuff like that. I need all of that information. I just need, I just need to get that information into one place. So I just have it and ready to go and I can just pull it up. I don't want to spend three minutes saving files and uploading and zipping and unzipping. And I just don't want to do any of that. I just want to copy a, a picture and just have it uploaded. And um, I can't do that with simple note and I can't do that with Laverna and I can't do that with, uh, I, well, I can do that with Evernote, but there's a whole other bag of worms. So what I have gone to is kind of a hybrid system. For my actual note notes, I actually started using Sublime Text. Uh, and the reason I started doing that is because I don't care very much about the mobile integration. I just care about being able to to brain dump inside of a a, a text thing. And the focus or what, what the full concentration mode, whatever they call it, where it takes over my whole screen, turns the screen black, and then I can just type and that that's the only thing that shows up. That is really helpful to me. The tabs are really helpful. The fact that I don't have to save anything, so I don't have to worry about uh, where notes are. I can just slam my laptop shut and then open it back up. And even if it dies, all of my notes are still there. That's really helpful. And you pair that with C file, and now those notes are syncing all over the place. I can access and read them from my uh, phone, but uh, primarily composing notes and stuff are done on my desktop. And then for quick jot down, I need to remember that number or I need to copy this screen cap or what I was doing today with that shipping service, what I'm using. And I, I, I know how stupid this sounds, but it works for me. I'm actually using Telegram and I just have a I have different group chats just with myself and one is called, you know, tech notes. I have one for this show and I just, I brain dump in there and that's kind of my, I can paste videos, I can paste files, I can paste photos, I can paste text and it's just, it's available to me everywhere and I can just pull it up and it's, it cloud synced all that stuff. Uh, it just works. Uh, and it's not a great solution. And, and I, and I, I realize that that is not a compelling answer to, to, to the, to an alternative to one note, but that's the best I got. <laughs> No man, that, that's that's uh, no. I appreciate your honesty on that one because I'm I'm still struggling with that too. Um, do you think Nextcloud's app taking service is like viable? I know they have um, Cloud Sync too, and they're pretty strong on that. Um, have you tried Nextcloud or? their note-taking integrations. I know they have some apps that integrate with NextCloud. I haven't played with their note-taking integration, but I have played with NextCloud a couple of times, and I've been very, very impressed with them. So I would I would definitely, uh, I would definitely check that out. And uh, I'm just going to run back to... Oh, no, he hung up. I'm sorry. I was just getting to you, Blue. I don't know when you when you jumped off there. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you, Joe, for the call. I really appreciate it. Hey, guys, um, the Ask Noah show is moving. We are moving to Tuesdays starting January 2nd. We're still going to be at 6 p.m. Central. Basically, what we're doing is we're teaming up with our friends uh, with the Linux Unplugged show. And basically, what Chris and I thought would be really cool is if Tuesday can just be Linux Day and uh, Linux Community Day, rather. And so... You can start your week off and you, you come in on Tuesdays. You can sit down and participate in a community mumble room. And then after that wraps up, all the questions that those Linux Unplugged guys can't answer, I'm going to take it. And I'll, I'll answer all those questions for you. So you can just stay tuned. And we are working on a way that um, we're going to streamline the switching of the, 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 uh, the streams. So it will just be one solid block of Linux party. Uh, you'll start with, with Linux Unplugged, and then they'll just uh, play some cool music and hang out with you guys until we're ready. And then when we're ready, uh, it'll just be like a seamless transition, and our show will start. And, uh, and I think that I think that's going to work out really, really well, and hopefully it will allow uh, us to take a couple of more calls. Although the past couple of weeks, we've actually been filled. Like, we've stacked. Uh, we've run right into the, 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 uh, the, the top of the hour with phone calls. 
call. So I really appreciate you guys. Hey, check us out on Twitter at uh, Ask Noah Show. Uh, you can follow me personally at Colonel Linux. Uh, while you're browsing around online, make sure to check out asknoahshow.com. Uh, the, uh, 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 there's another app coming in. I'll have to look at this in a little bit and get back to you next week because we're running out of time. But uh, make sure to check us out online, asknoahshow.com. Make sure to submit uh, your vote for what you think the best Linux desktop is, asknoahshow.com slash elimination. A huge thanks to Ben, our producer, Sarah, our call screener, and Rakai, our video editor. We'll you after Crosspoint. Coming up next on Logos Radio, KEQQ 88.3, LPFM, Grand Forks. <laughs>